Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Weigh In Sports Talk. I'm your host, Brian Tarvin, joined by co-host Trey Patterson, and we are raring to go tonight. What a great weekend of sports. College football yesterday, Trey, uh, was just amazing. That's exactly why I watch college football and love it more than any sport out there, man. Yesterday was phenomenal. Yeah, every 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 game yesterday, man, there was a lot of good football for us to watch. Four major upsets. Anytime you have that kind of shake up in the polls, Tarvin, man, there's something for us to talk about for sure. A lot to talk about tonight, and we'll go over where where the hosts were. We were wrong this weekend, and also we're, we're going to pat ourselves on the back a little bit, Trey, and and discuss about some things we were right. Both of us were seventy percent this weekend in college football out of those games, and, and that's pretty good considering all of the upsets that occurred. Yeah, I mean, not our best week, but you and I are well over 70% for all of our games all year long. We're probably up around 80%. So, you know, given the fact that we're doing that, Tarvin, you know, we're not doing so bad. Not at all, and right now I've won $850,000 this year in college alone. I've lost 150000 in the NFL, so, Trey, I'm over half a million in earnings so far. <laughs> well, you better start spreading that around, buddy. Well, I'm joking. Well, uh, just start off a little bit. and I, I mean, this is something I wanted to talk about that happened Friday. I think it was Adrian Peterson's son, Trey. Uh, he was murdered, really, by his his mother's boyfriend, a guy that had a rap sheet a mile long. And how in the world did Adrian Peterson pull it together and play a game today? You could tell he wasn't his self-playing. He, he wasn't his normal self. But with a heavy heart he had, Trey, uh, kudos to him for playing. I know some people are are beating him up over playing in that game, but I think it's his business how he how he handles it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I, I have no way of knowing what he's going through, but um, you know, just can't imagine can't imagine losing a child, man, that young, that full of life. Um, man, my heart goes out to him. You know, a part of me thought that he was this was a decoy trade that he was saying he was gonna be at the game and he was gonna show up at jail where this guy was and and beat him half to death. I mean <laughs> I just don't understand how how someone could do this to a child and it goes to show you, I mean, even if you're divorced or you're not with the person, you need to know who they're with at all times because things like this happen a lot, Trey, but it's just not reported because they're not high-profile people like Adrian Peterson, but wow. I mean, you could tell Minnesota was just, they were so flat today and heavy-hearted. It was it was terrible to watch that game. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man, 100%. Well, prayers and, and thoughts go out to Adrian Peterson and his family. I just, I can't imagine going through something that terrible. But Adrian Peterson is the best player in the NFL. Today he showed what kind of man he was for coming out and suiting up and doing his job. A lot of people wouldn't have played, but like I said, it's his business, how he handles it. It's his son. And, Trey, I don't know about you, but we're going to start off right at the top. I know this is not one of our games, but, I mean, it's one of our games on the list. But Tom Brady, oh, man, what a game he had today coming back against the Saints, the first half dominated by the Patriots. Just real quick, your thoughts. We'll break this game down later. Thoughts on Tom Brady's finish? Well, he, he finished strong. I, I don't know that he was all that great today, Tarver. I mean, he was pretty poor up until that last drive. Had thrown an interception just a couple of minutes, well, maybe what, a minute and a half earlier. So, you know, he finished strong, and that's, you know, that's what a lot of people remember. But I'm still seeing a lot of problems with this Patriot offense, Tarver. 
Well, Trey, they have scout team players starting all over the field on offense. So that's a great day by Tom Brady. You put any other quarterback in the NFL with that team, they probably don't even get 100 yards passing, and they definitely don't beat the New Orleans Saints. But just a phenomenal job by Tom Brady coming back. I mean, the Saints, I think they they try to play way too conservative, and you can't do that in Foxborough against a Tom Brady team. But, you know, that interception he threw you talked about was just a desperation throw, a frustration, I think. And he just threw it up for grabs, and then all of a sudden he got new life. Tom Brady, Trey, that's why he's the best clutch quarterback in the game of football right there. Nobody was picking. I think you and I picked the Patriots. I don't think many other people did. Everybody was on the Saints. But that's one big game we got right today. Yeah, I mean, I, I expected the Patriots to win that game. I, you know, as we said before, I thought Gronk was going to play. Um, but, you know, I kept my pick uh, even though he didn't. Uh, you know, I wanted to reevaluate before the game, but I decided to stick it out. Uh, but, you know, I'm still, you know, you say, you know, they're playing with a bunch of Juco players. I mean, they have talent at wide receiver. Um, yeah, I'm just not so sure that these guys are maturing in the way that they need to. I mean, I think some of these guys are going to be okay. But, yeah, he doesn't have the receiving core that he's had in previous years for sure. And Gronkowski, I mean, you, he's questionable every game. But here's the deal, Trey. They say he practices every day. He's the leading practice player out there, and he performs well. He's ready to go. And then on game day, he doesn't play. What is it with Gronkowski? And, I mean, if I'm a Patriot, if I'm Tom Brady, I'm going to go to the front office and say, get this guy on the field or get him out. Uh, for some reason, he just don't want to go back in and play. Well, it has nothing to do with him. I mean, he is medically not cleared to play, and that's all it is to it. I mean, the NFL, college football, with injuries and concussions and whatever it may be, and you have to be approved by the doctors to play. And if you don't, you don't play. That's the NFL rules. And Dr. James Andrews, who has done both of his surgeries on that arm, has not cleared him to play. He's clearing him to practice, but he is not clearing him to play in games. So, you know, as of right before the game, Andrews said he was out. And that's that's all that, you know, that's that's all the Patriots can do. There's no, that's no decision that you know, Greg Kowski can make. If the doc says you don't go, you don't go. Well, well, tell me this. I mean, why can he practice then full speed and play in contact and everything if he's not cleared to play? Well, I mean, practice is one thing. I mean, practice and games are, you know, Alan Iverson said it best. We're talking about practice. Practice isn't the same as a game. Um, you know, he he may be hitting in practice, but hitting in practice and hitting in games are two different things. And, you know, Dr. Andrews has not told us uh, why he delineates the two, but he does, and then, you know, there it is. Let's say the team doctors, Patriots team doctors, have cleared him. It's just Andrews we're waiting on. And I think I do trust Dr. Andrews, Trey. I think he's one of the best in the world, and, and everybody respects his opinion. I guess if there's there's a reason, there's a reason. But I'd like to know why. Maybe Gronkowski's telling him, too, hey, I'm not ready to go back yet. And maybe that's a part of it. Because if the team doctors clear you for New England, you have to wonder why. what's the holdup. I want to know exactly what's going on with this Gronkowski injury because the Patriots need him bad. If they're going to be a serious contender in the playoffs, they're going to get there. But if they're going to be a serious contender, they're going to have to have him as a weapon because everything flows through Gronkowski. So interesting to see what happens with that story, Trey. That's huge, though. I mean, Tom Brady, though, aren't you impressed with what he's done with the limited resources, really? I mean, no running game. I think they scored their first rushing touchdown this year today. I mean, he's done it all. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't take the pro Brady approach that you do. I think Brady is, is 
I think he's declining in in, in his skill set. I mean, you saw him force some passes today. Uh, you can you know, one way to look at it is the way you look at it and say it to people around him. Uh, you know, but I also think that Tom Brady has some some you know onus that he can take on this as well. He, he he's put some balls in places that Brady in his heyday wasn't putting. So yeah, he's going to go back to sort of where he was to I think to win a Super Bowl. Um, but this this year, Tarvin, I mean, I'm looking at this team, and I'm not I'm not seeing that this team is good enough just yet. I know they only have one loss. No, they're not. You're right. They're not. And they're just not you're good right. enough. You're right. You're right. You're you're 100% right. Right now at this time, they've lost one game, but let's face it, they played some bad competition so far. Uh, they did beat New Orleans. Kudos. That was a, a miracle drive. But you're right. They're not anywhere close to being, a, in my opinion, the top five AFC team in a way. If you look at him today, I just need to see him get better going forward, get healthier. Gronkowski, when he decides to return, that'll be an exciting day. But before we get into their NFL tray, I want to talk about Major League Baseball. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm a little surprised that that the St. Louis Cardinals have jumped out to a 2-0 lead on the Dodgers. Not looking good for L.A. I mean, if anybody can come back, L.A. can. But St. Louis shows how to play postseason baseball, and then all of a sudden, Detroit taking care of Boston, almost no hit them last night, struck out, what, 17 batters, and now they're up in game mm-hmm. two. So so which which team, if they're down 2-0, has the worst chance of coming back and winning, in your opinion? If Boston goes down 2-0 tonight, and now we have uh, the Dodgers down 2-0, which team has, has the worst chance of coming back? Well, the worst chance is going to be the Dodgers. I mean, even though they have, you know, Kershaw and Grinke, you know, to me, I look at, you know, the Red Sox have, have always had, a, had that sort of comeback attitude. I mean, yeah, the players have changed out, but they still have a bunch of blue-collar guys like Victorino, Pedroia, Ortiz, guys who have been around. Some of these guys were around when they came back from 3-0 deficits, not just 2 3 So, you know, when I look at um, when I look at the Red Sox, Tarvin, I'm looking at a team that I think has the bats. And what I don't like about the Dodgers is they have that brave bat mentality at times where they need the long ball, they need one guy to put them on their back. They don't have a lot of guys who sort of manufacture runs. Certainly more than the Braves did, but you know they're relying on um, this big money guys they brought in last year who are just terribly cold right now. And you're right, Carmen. You brought up a great point. I mean, the Cardinals have this magic about them um, the last three years uh, in postseason baseball. And uh, I did not pick them to make the World Series. The Dodgers. Um, and the and the Tigers are my preseason pick, and I, I, I gotta wonder about myself, Tarvin, is why am I keep why do I keep picking against the Cardinals? <laughs> because you're you're like you're human nature to to want to see someone go down. You you look at odds, you look at talent on a team, and you slap your head and wonder how in the world do they keep winning. But the Cardinals are a perfect example of what it takes to win. I mean, a great farm system, Trey, great pitching. I mean, they just put in people. They lost two holes. I thought it was going to hurt them. Everybody, a lot of people did. And look, they, they're they better. I mean, Carlos Beltran could be the best postseason player of all time, Trey. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think that, that that actually might be true, but if you look at his numbers and look at the clutch hits and the, you know, the game-winning hits, I mean, this guy, just he's done it all in the postseason. And it's just crazy to think that what he's done has been kind of overlooked and overshadowed a bit. Um, just because I think probably because he plays for the Cardinals. I mean, if you imagine he was doing all this and played for Boston, if he played for New York, I mean, he would be already up there. But 
it's like because he's playing for the Cardinals tournament, we don't we don't talk about it as much. But he's been one of the, if not the most clutch player in the history of baseball. Well, Trey, what's your matchup? What are what is Major League Baseball hoping the World Series matchup is to to fatten their wallet a little bit? Is it the Dodgers and the uh, Red Sox? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the Dodgers and Red Sox. That's that's exactly what baseball wants is that matchup. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I mean, the Dodgers got a long way to come back. Now it's still it's still early in this in the game today or tonight. I mean, it's one to nothing. Scherzer's tossing a gem. Uh, right now, the Red Sox have one hit so far in the ALCS, and that's not tonight, Tarvin. So the Red Sox bats are pretty cold. Well, if you think about it, I mean, these are the four best teams in baseball. If you look at it, you analyze it, the right four, the final four is correct. I mean, I hated the Braves' loss. They choked as usual. Um, but it's not really choking when you lose to the Dodgers. I mean, a very good baseball team with great pitching. And, and speak of the devil. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys just let a, a punt hit them in the butt and fumble, and Washington recovers. Just good old Dallas. Uh, but, you know, I like this baseball playoffs right now, but I am pumped about the World Series. I think no matter who's in it, it's going to be a great World Series. It's good when you have NFL football, college football, and Major League Baseball. It's just a good time. So, Trey, let's let's head on to the NFL. I mean, this week is so crazy of college football. I'm just chomping at the bit to get there to college, but – First, we need to go through this NFL action. And the first game that you picked, and I wondered, I, I was scratching my head, and I even told Paul, I was like, I wonder why, why Trey chose Houston. You know, that's an easy game. And then Houston gets blown out, Trey. I don't think anybody got it right, but great pick, picking that game number five, man. I won't question you again. <laughs> well, you know, I actually thought long and hard about this game because I thought this was one of those moments where we were going to get to see – if the real Texans from previous years was gonna were gonna you know were gonna come back, or if this was gonna be one of those games that we we go the other way. Now I obviously did not pick the Rams, so I kind of thought we were gonna see Texans stand up, but I had something in my mind on this game that that this may be different than what we expect. And man, the Rams just went out and just took care of business. I mean, for all of those shop haters, Tarvin. I mean, everybody wanted to see Tyler Yates. He was atrocious when Shaw yep. got hurt. He threw a pick six. He threw a pick right after that. He played terrible. And so, you know, I saw a graphic when I was watching the game about some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and going into huge post, you know, five-game slumps. And the names on there were staggering. And, and the numbers that uh, I did not realize happened, I mean, it was Brett Favre, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, I mean, it, you know, Eli Manning. It was all these good quarterbacks who've done so great in their careers and they had a five, all of them, all of them had five game slumps where they had like 20 interceptions and no touchdowns. I mean, so, you know, I'm not ready to give up on shots just yet. And the Texans clearly shouldn't after seeing what Tyler Yates had. Well, Trey, I had a big problem. I mean, I read an article too. I didn't get to see it live because I was watching another game, but Matt Schaub went down with an ankle injury and not all of the crowd, but a lot of the crowd was cheering. I mean, you're at home cheering an injury. Imagine what the players on that field for Houston thinks. And even the other team, the opponent, is like, wow, what unclass classless fans you have. I mean, the worst sportsmanship ever is, and just like Ole Miss last night, booing or clapping when Johnny Manziel went down with a knee injury. Trey, what is it with these fans? I mean, have you ever cheered an injury before? 
No, I, I can honestly say that I haven't done that. And I, yeah, I, it's just ridiculous. I mean, one in your own fans cheering. I mean, there were a lot of tweets from players after the game, both both for the Texans and for the Rams, tweeting about it. I mean, the same thing you can say for Ole Miss. I mean, the thing about Ole Miss, Tarvin, is this is um, about incident number six on Ole Miss that shows us the classlessness, not only the university and the players, but the fans. I mean, you had the fans cheering Manziel. You had the players, um, you know, anti-gay and homosexual, you know, things that happened in the theater. You have the the recruit who came in. He said the people were shouting racial slurs at him when he was there. Yeah, I mean, this just old man, Harvin. I, you know, just I mean, this whole place seems to be a little bit classless right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're not even winning. You know, everybody was on Ole Miss's bandwagon, and we'll get to them in a few minutes. But, yeah, I mean, you're a fan base. And one thing, I've I've been in Auburn for a ton of games, Trey, and I've been to a lot of games, and I've never once seen anyone in the crowd cheer an injury before. But there are fans in every fan base, but this is happening over and over again. And Houston is so frustrated, and I think it boils back down to that. It goes back to that pick six against Seattle, and – I guess these fans are ready for a change. But to see someone that's putting it out on the line every week for you, going through a position that's not easy. I mean, quarterback position in the NFL is not easy. Ask Gates that came in and, and played for him. That's just so classless. I mean, the, the players were angry. The Houston players, I don't know if you got to see their post-game interview, but you could see the look. They were very angry at their fans, even calling them classless. Yeah, I mean, that's just not, you know, it's not good for a lot of reasons, you know, you're talking about free agents who, who may want to come in. I mean, the thing is, is you're going to have a chance, if, if Shab is healthy, to evaluate this season now and know with this big quarterback class, we've been talking about it, um, whether you want to go out and draft a guy, whether, you know, Paul talking in the chat room about Cam Newton going to Houston. I mean, whether it is, you're going to get, you'll get a chance by the end of the season to know if Matt Schaub's your quarterback, you know that you have no one else in that roster who can fill anybody's shoes. So now it becomes time is, if I'm a Houston fan, I want to see Schaub healthy, and I want to see what we really have in him. Is he really done? Is this, you know, if he hit a point in his career where he's not going to be uh, the quarterback that he was throwing over 4,000 yards, and he's not that guy anymore, and you want to see it because this is the year where you want to have um, you know, a, sol- a solidified quarterback or not. So you can get, grab one in the draft or grab one in a free agency. But have you ever noticed the fans like this or from teams that, that have never been there before and achieved anything? Ole Miss, what have they done? I mean, nothing. Look at Houston, what have they really done? Nothing. And it's the fan bases that, that feel like they they deserve, they're entitled to stuff. And, and, man, it's just terrible. Matt Schaub is the only thing, only reason Houston has been where they are today. I mean, he's struggling right now, but he's a – He's a good quarterback, Trey. I mean, he's struggling right now. He's got his issues. He'll work them out. But overall, he's a good quarterback. And Houston's lucky to have a quarterback like Matt Shaw. Um, so fans, get go to go to a class or something and learn how to be classy. I don't know, but the number four game, Trey, the Washington Redskins one and three at Dallas two and three. Dallas looks like you know playing sloppy right now. They're up seven to three in the first. We both picked the Cowboys, and we won't get into this since since the game's going on, but just an update, 7-3 Dallas with 6.35 left until halftime. That wasn't a fumble trade. They said he was pushed into it, so Dallas has the ball there on 35, and we'll keep you up to date on that as it it goes on. And the number three game, 
didn't surprise me much. The Detroit Lions, three and two on the road at the hot Cleveland Browns, who won three straight trade. Detroit took them behind the woodshed, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those games that, uh, you know, the real Brandon Whedon, please stand up. He did. I mean, you saw what Brandon Whedon can do. Uh, and it's just a shame for, for Cleveland Browns fans because, again, you know, this was their chance to see if Hoyer was the guy. They're not going to see that this year. They're going to have to make a tough decision on quarterback next year because, you know, do they go out and draft a guy? Do they think Hoyer's their guy? And if he's not their guy, they miss out on a really great, you know, quarterback class. So Cleveland, man, it's just they can't catch a break, Carvin. In this game, Detroit sure as heck didn't give them a break. Matthew Stafford actually played really well in the fourth quarter. Uh, and so, you know, another um, you know another good Lions victory over the Browns. Yeah, Reggie Bush had 78 yards rushing, which that's respectable. And and anytime you go on the road, you have to you have to have a running game. I mean, Detroit was down 17 to seven and a half and shut out Cleveland in the second half. So. Kudos to Detroit, four and two. They had to win. I mean, so Chicago won and Green Bay won this week. Uh, just a good game for them to go in and on the road. Anytime you get a win, it's big in the NFL. So great job, Detroit. Won by two touchdowns, and they did cover the spread. And I guess that that matters to some people. And the next game went about the way I thought it would. Trey Green Bay on the road, two and two against the Baltimore Ravens, and at the end of the day, the Ravens just don't have enough weapons, do they, Trey, to be able to to keep up with Aaron Rodgers, really? Yeah, I mean, it was a tougher game than I thought. I thought it was going to be a. I, I would have guessed the over on that game. I don't know what it was, but I thought it was going to be a shootout. And so the fact that the defense is actually came into play and the Green Bay played defense surprised me. I thought that, you know, the Packers would win, but I really thought it was going to be a 35 to, you know, 28 type of game. So, you know, good on, on Green Bay. I mean, without Clay Matthews playing that well on defense. So, you know, I'm not sure what they figured out, Tarvin. I don't know if it's just the fact that Baltimore can't run the football and they're they're sort of one-dimensional. But uh, they figured out something on defense tonight. Yeah, they, they have. They've been playing a lot better this season on defense and, and I think it, it has something to do, too, with having some kind of a running game that kind of eats some clock up sometimes that gives our defense a chance to rest because Green Bay can score so quick sometimes and it just puts their defense right back on the field. I like this Green Bay team right now with Jordy Nelson getting healthy. Eddie Lacy got his, what, 120 yards. Uh, Finley got almost 100 yards. So the big play, the 64-yard touchdown, I think that sealed the deal for Green Bay. When I was watching that game, that's when I realized I thought the game was over, but Baltimore had a run left in them. The trade Green Bay is showing that, you know, they can win those defensive games, which you're right. I thought it would be a little higher scoring, but that's big in, in the psyche of these, these Green Bay defensive players that they can win a low-scoring game. Yeah, it definitely shows for yeah, it shows progression for absolutely, Tarvin, yeah. Yeah, so, so Green Bay, I know you're a big Green Bay fan, and, and the game of the day, and it did not disappoint. The 5-0 and Saints went on the road to, to Foxborough and played Tom Brady and the 4-1 and Patriots. Trey, Tom Brady, and I know you said he didn't play a good game. I disagree with that, and, and it's just because of what he has around him. But they did not disappoint. I mean, what a thrilling comeback win there at the end. I thought they were. I thought it was over when they went for it on fourth down on their own side of the field and didn't get it. But hey, you never give up in the NFL. And Tom Brady showed that. So, what are your thoughts? Yeah, actually, I I, I thought that New Orleans should have easily wrapped up the game. When Brady threw that interception with what two ten or two fifteen left in the game, 
I just was really surprised at the play calling and execution on New Orleans at that point. And that's where, uh, when I saw how they were handling the ball, I thought, well, Brady's going to have a shot here because, I mean, it doesn't look like this team is ready to sort of uh, put the Patriots away. And, and they sure as heck didn't. And, and Tom Brady made them pay for it. He had a great final drive, Sarban. He did. And Jonathan's with us on the line. Sorry, Jonathan, I didn't see you on hold there. What are your thoughts on the New England Patriots-New Orleans Saints game? I had a really big parlay today. And I'm watching the Saints-Patriots game. And all I'm thinking is, this week is about to suck. As New Orleans looks like they have that game pretty much wrapped up. And then you give Tom, you give Tom Brady one last chance. And my goodness, that was fantastic. That was glorious. What an amazing comeback win by the Patriots. Two, two really good football teams right there. It was a hard-fought victory for the Patriots. For the Saints, they need to go back to the drawing board uh, defensively and in that, you know, that time clock situation because it looked like they didn't know what to do in terms of eating the, eating the clock up. They're not used to running the ball. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good point right there, Trey. I mean, is this a good thing this happened to the Saints as early in the season and maybe this is something they can learn, you know, and practice on and, you know, you learn from going through losses. I think this is big that it happened this time of year. Do they capitalize on that going forward, Trey? Well, I mean, do they capitalize? It's possible. And this is a, a team that has played a lot better defensively. Now, I, I think what we saw there in the fourth quarter was some of what we saw last year from New Orleans, defensive laps, people being able to find a lot of room passing the football. Now, whether this is something that Rex Ryan can change and, you know, whether this is a coaching moment for him, uh, I, you know, this is, this is going to change because, I mean, the New Orleans Saints, if they go back to that defense last year, Tarvin, it's going to be a different next five games for New Orleans. And look, one thing, the, the biggest thing I'm impressed with in this game was the New, New England defense, guys. I mean, they held Drew Brees at 236 yards passing, uh, under 50%, and they shut down the running game. I think, how many running yards did uh, the Saints have? I don't think it was many. I don't even think they got 100 yards rushing. So, Jonathan, is that surprising that New England's defense played the way it did without Will Fork in the middle? New England's defense has impressed me all season. This is a unit that was ridiculed and just picked off so much last year, and they've done so much this year to change that perception. I am thoroughly impressed with the performance they put on, not only just as a whole, but what they did to Jimmy Graham. And did it kill me to see Jimmy Graham pretty much skunk me in fantasy this week? It did. But what the Patriots were able to do by shutting him down was yep. fantastic. I mean, they literally just wrote the textbook on how to shut down Jimmy Graham in the Saints offense. And I thought that was something that no matter how good your defense was, couldn't be done. I mean, Jimmy Graham is the best tight end in the game, guys, and he got shut down in Foxborough. Trey, that had to make your jaw drop a little bit. Yeah, it was it was certainly impressive, uh, especially once uh, Talib went out. That's where, you know, Talib was doing a one-on-one job. Talib is a fantastic defender. I think he leads the NFL in, in interceptions. So it didn't surprise me too much that they were, you know, keeping Jimmy Graham down. And now I was surprised, certainly, that he was, you know, didn't have a single reception. But I thought that Talib being a one-on-one guy with Graham was going to be able to frustrate him. But when he went out, Tarvin, that's when I really was surprised. And I know Graham got, got hurt, but there was a little bit of time there before you know, Graham, uh, excuse me, yeah, before Graham got hurt, he was still getting shut out. So New England, very, very good 
uh, Belichick definitely drew up some stuff to keep him out of the game. Yeah, and that was a phenomenal game, guys, a great ending. And, hey, before we go off the NFL, there's just a couple of games I want to touch on before we get into this exciting week of college football. And make sure you write this call-in number down real quick, 646-716-5564. We want you to call in tonight. Tell us what's on your mind in college football. We don't care what it is, if we're on that game or not, or what we're talking about. Call in, weigh in, give us your thoughts on this week in college football. But, hey, you know, everybody was talking about the Denver Broncos going to blow out Jacksonville, 27-point favorites. Hey, Jacksonville came to play, Jonathan. It looks like they wrote a – wrote the script on how to knock Peyton Manning around. The guy got beat up more today than he has all season. He did. And some of those were late shots. And, you know, I, I was a little disappointed in the way Jacksonville started that game defensively and how uh, they were taking some late hits and some low hits on Peyton. Uh, almost dirty play. But I also thought Denver didn't show up. I thought they did not come ready to play Jacksonville. This was not a team I thought was ready and looked like they were ready to play a team. They essentially walked in and said, "We're gonna, you know, Jacksonville's gonna lay down. We're gonna win this game." Uh, my hats off to Chad Henney, who, you know, and Justin Blackman, who had a good game against, you know, a Denver defense that, even though they got torched by Dallas, had been, you know, quite stingy this season. Uh, you know, against the run, and we saw Maurice Jones Drew have a couple breaks here and there. My hats off to Jacksonville for the way they played. Um, second quarter on, but that first quarter, that was that was some dirty play. And Trey, uh, the Carolina Panthers of a, a win today at Minnesota with what happened with Adrian Peterson. But even though Cam had a good game, have you noticed that Mike Shula, the offensive coordinator for Carolina, still he doesn't know how to utilize what he has on offense? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think there's some honest criticism of Shula. Uh, for for certain, I think a lot of you know, but he's not the only one to blame. I mean, Newton hasn't played very well. I don't think they have a very good running back. I mean, they've never had a receiver absent Steve Smith. I mean, Brandon LaFell is kind of figuring it out, but it's not like they have a whole lot of pieces to work with there. And certainly, Newton hasn't played up to his potential. Obviously, we saw his potential today. Uh, so you know, it's easier when you have pieces starting for sure. Yeah, he's he's played and he's played well a couple times this year and all. But hey, you know, you give your defense a chance to win the games and they don't. That's that's not his fault. And and the offensive line, I mean, God, the Carolina offensive line is so bad. But hopefully they can get it together. I mean, a big win, even though Minnesota's struggling, both teams are struggling, and to go on the road and get that win, I think that can can be a turning point. But if Carolina is going to win, first their defense has gotten a lot better, guys. I have to give them kudos for that. Defense is probably top ten in the NFL, and, and just looking at it, they have to run the zone read with Cam. Just wanted to throw that out there. I think they can get a lot more production and get everybody involved if he's touching the ball and running, running the ball. Uh, just something to throw out there and see if if they can work on that during the season. But other than that, Pittsburgh got their first win today. Not very surprised. They had a bye week. New York coming off a, a Monday night game, you know, against the against the Falcons and beating them. So. That's all for the NFL and Trey, unless you have something else you want to talk about. Well, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys just took a just took a punt to the house, and looks like it's going to stand, Tarvin. <laughs> I thought that was coming back. I saw a dude I thought get pretty well clipped, but um, and I think Paul put them by a hold. So here's yeah, surprise. He just took a ticket to the house, though. So. Uh, Paul was right on that, actually. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you are playing in Dallas, so you're going to get those calls. But you know what else stands, Trey, is the host won another week here. We finally got our crown back from Jason Humphrey, it looks like, if Dallas can hold on to this lead. Well, Dallas is going to hold on to the lead, let's be honest. Uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on a, on, a, on a coach for running into a ref. Uh, that's that's a unique one, but uh, let's get into college. <laughs> All right, guys, six four six seven one six five five six four. This is going to be fun, man. I've been waiting all all day and last night for this show. Just so much to talk about in college football. I'm not disappointed in what I saw. But Trey, give me give me one thing that you learned this weekend overall in general about college football. What was well, we learned that some teams. Uh, it's funny, you and I were talking on on uh, Facebook and our, on the Way in Sports uh, group about you know patting each other on the back. You know, you said, "Hey, Stanford is not as good as you guys think they are." You know, I've been I've been off the Georgia bandwagon since before the season started, as you know, and I, I never got on it even after they had some big victories. And you know, the way Missouri, we'll talk about that game, Tarvin. So I think what we learned about this week is there's still a lot of teams who who were posers. And and they're sort of wolves in sheep's clothing out there. And I think we we learned a couple of them this weekend. We're gonna learn a couple other ones next weekend too. Well, let's let's move right into college football. One of the most exciting games of the day. And I'm not gonna waste your time talking about BYU, Georgia Tech listeners out there, Louisville Rutgers. I don't want to waste your time. So so we're gonna move right into Penn State. <laughs> What's well, three and two at home, playing an undefeated Michigan team, guys. And, Trey, when I looked at Michigan, Akron should have beat them. UConn should have beat them. They did beat Notre Dame, but it's looking like that wasn't a big win after all. But what a game. Penn State at home and, what was it, four overtimes? Yeah, it was – it's funny. I saw a lot of people talking about how it was the most boring overtime game. I, it was actually a really good game. It was an exciting game. I thought it was a fun game to watch. I thought that, you know, Michigan – uh, they should have lost that game a lot, uh, many, many times during that that game. Like they had, they were playing themselves into losing it, and they deserved to lose it. I, you know, I wanted to pull the trigger on the upset. I just couldn't do it. I thought Michigan was going to win a sloppy game. I kind of, you know, we talked about it on the show. I thought it was going to be a sloppy game. I thought Michigan wasn't going to play that well. But you know, I got to give credit to Penn State and what they're doing. I mean, they have really, I mean, their whole cupboard is bare. I mean, they have no players, really. They're, they're not much depth in that team. And they're still holding it together, Tarvin. I thought this season would be different than last season, but here they are again, you know, beating a, a top 25 team, uh, even though Michigan was a poser. Well, the freshman feeding on Heckenberg, Jonathan, threw for over 300 yards. He did throw a couple picks, but he got three touchdowns. Give us your thoughts on on this kid, and he's and is he the future of the Big Ten right now? The kid's phenomenal. Uh, I I love the way Christian Hackenberg's been playing. Uh, that kid plays with so much heart, and I mean, we got to remember, you know, he could, he was the first commit to Penn State after the sanctions came out, and they asked him, "Are you going to leave? Are you going to decommit and go somewhere else?" And he said, "No, I committed to Penn State," and I loved it. And I've been hoping this kid would succeed, and he played a phenomenal game. He didn't get rattled in the fourth quarter. Uh, my hat's off to Christian Hackenberg. I think, you know, that that's a kid that he's an NFL-type uh, quarterback. We'll be seeing his name called in the first round in, you know, two or three years. And, Trey, you know, Bill O'Brien had chances to leave Penn State after the phenomenal coaching job he did in the sanctions. But do you think part of the reason he stayed was he talked this Hackenberg kid into coming and playing at Penn State? He didn't want to walk away from him like that, did he? Well, I think that he thought that, that – you know, Hackenberger, who was a Hackenberger, was a great 
great recruit coming out of high school. He was one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. I thought that he had a piece there and that he thought, I think, honestly, if he did what he's doing at Penn State and he stays around for a couple of years and they, they turn into a winner, one or two things are going to happen. Either he's going to be there for a long, long time or he's going to be able to punch whatever job he wants into a bigger university, which he already could do. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And and give us your thoughts, Trey, of, of Michigan. You know, you look at the coaches' poll, and that's something, man, I just I get angry every time I look at the coaches' poll because I know these guys have no idea what's going on. But Michigan is still ranked in the coaches' poll. And I, I just wanted your thoughts on that. Does Michigan deserve to be ranked? Even though they only have one loss, do they deserve to stay in the polls? I, I, I think it's tenuous at best for them to be in the polls. They're 24th in the nation right now in the coaches' poll, which, you know, if they're going to be there, they should be there. Uh, I, I, you and I both agree that the AP is a better poll. Uh, I look at the AP poll right now, and I see, you know, I see Auburn ranked. I told you Auburn was going to be ranked um, coming into this week at yeah, you- A&M. And this is that's right, Tarvin. Auburn deserves it right now, and I don't. In Michigan, uh, if they do deserve it, um, it really de- it shouldn't be twenty four. I mean, they're they're twenty five at best. Well, Jonathan, I see other teams besides Michigan that should be in that poll. What about you? I agree. Um, you know, once you think about it, and you know, yeah, there are definitely some other teams out there who have played extremely hard this year, have done a good job. Um, you know, that belong in the polls. You know, and I, I'm i one of those guys who believes an undefeated team probably deserves a little look there, and there's actually one undefeated team that's not ranked right now, and there's only 14 undefeated left, and that's Houston. And when I look at Houston, all I think is they shouldn't be ranked, but you're going to put Michigan ahead of Houston? I, I, I don't I don't know if I agree with that. Because I don't think, you know, yeah, we man. saw Michigan show against Akron, we saw them show against Connecticut. They're not they're not who we thought they were at the beginning of the year. Right, you know, after that Notre Dame win. That's, yeah, that's, Trey, you know, you know, Trey, you know, Auburn lost by 14 on the road to LSU at night. Sloppy first half, played well, and, and the way they've been playing is a lot better. You know, that one loss at Baton Rouge looks a lot better than a, a loss at Penn State and should have lost mm-hmm. to Akron, should have lost to UConn. So that's how I look at it. The coaches poll. I, I really don't understand how you have Ohio State three. I mean, I don't even understand how the AP has them four. But you start looking through this this poll, and it, it makes me scratch my head. And and the biggest winner, we'll talk about it later, Missouri, and we'll discuss that game. But Trey, where does Michigan go from here? They're five and one. I mean, how do they rebound and, and compete for this Big Ten championship? Well, I mean, one is the Big Ten, and so really it just comes down to execution. I mean, it's not like the talent level. And the talent level in Michigan is, is better than you know, everywhere but Ohio State. I mean, if you look at the recruiting classes they've put together, I think they got, what, the number one running back in the nation last year. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they've just got, they got a lot of guys there. They just have to put it all together. And, you know, some people say it's coaching. Uh, some people say that, you know, Michigan was a little bit of bear when, when, you know, when this new coaching staff took over, so they're trying to restock the cupboards. And I think a little bit of that is all together. I mean, this team is not as deep and they're not as talented on, especially when you talk about the, the offensive line, the D-line, linebacker. They had a lot of players who aren't up to, let's say, you know, SEC top ten type of talent. 
So they got they got some recruiting to do. Um, but Tarvin, this team is good enough to stay around in the top twenty-five. It's just a matter right now with executing against some of these you know terrible Big Ten teams. Well. That's that's a good point. Guys, the next game I want to talk about, which surprised me. I thought it would be a lot closer than, what, 59-7 to or something. South Carolina went on the road with their 14th ranking and went to Arkansas. Jonathan, that game, to me, I thought Arkansas would fight hard. I thought the noon kickoff would be to their advantage, really, against South Carolina. But they wasted no time, really, of going out and just putting up, taking Arkansas behind the woodshed and showing Brett Bielema what the SEC is all about. Well, I mean, just like Steve Spurrier said, you got to feel for Arkansas. I said, you know, <laughs> that was their homecoming game. And they just got waxed. I mean, for, oh, hey, who scheduled South Carolina to be homecoming? Who thought, hmm, a homecoming game, that should be South Carolina? What a terrible idea. But the, the come out and the way South Carolina down, I mean, Connor Shaw looked like a pocket-passing quarterback. I mean, he looked you know, had a Drew Brees-like arm in that game. We all know he's not nowhere near Drew Brees. But he had all the time in the world, was able to hit him left and right, receiving, I mean, oh, my goodness, Arkansas, where were you? <laughs> that was atrocious. And, and Trey, you know, you see Steve Spurrier fist-pumping on the sideline. You know it's a good day, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think Arkansas does not need to give, you know, a team like South Carolina any extra motivation and that's what they did. They had a homecoming there. You Spurrier spouted off about it. You, you knew that um, that when he made that comment, that they were fired up about this game, and it showed. I mean, this, they came out as a team who was playing an Arkansas team who is like a number ten in the country. They played them like they were ready for them and them alone, and they, they and they were on a mission. So, you know, Spurrier may have these guys fired up now, Tarvin. And I got to tell you, if they do, um, you know, right now South Carolina's looking real pretty. Yeah, they are. And Sonia wants to to say something about Brett Belima and the SEC. What's up, Sonia? How are you doing? Hey, sweetie. How are you guys? What's up, Trey? What up? What up? <laughs> Bottom line, Tarvin, you already know how I feel <clears throat> on this subject. But if people are wondering why so many SEC team fans are cheering that South Carolina victory, it is due to Mr. Bolima's comments when um, when he was still in uh, the Big Ten, when he was still up in Wisconsin. And he made a lot of disparaging comments, and the last one was the one that was basically questioning the integrity of the SEC coaches. So when he took the job down here, and I don't know if people recall, <clears throat> but it was mentioned as far as, yeah, you know, we're going to welcome him the right way when he gets here. So what people don't understand is that these coaches – are determined, <laughs> I don't care what other game is going on, they are determined to make sure that Mr. Belima is welcomed into the conference that he spent so much time disparaging the right way. And I have to give Steve Spurrier props because he did it. So he gets my props. Yeah, and you know, next week, Nick Saban gets to welcome him to the SEC. That's not a, a good combination, Spurrier and Saban, back-to-back weeks. <laughs> oh, no, and I'm so looking forward to it. I cannot <laughs> wait. It'll be like, hey, welcome to the SEC, Brett. I just I want him to lose every in-conference game just to teach him a lesson. I think I had him going, like, winning zero or one in the SEC. I'll have to go back and listen. But 
I knew he was going to have a tough time. And, Sonia, I was worried about Arkansas game, and it still could be a game when we went go on the road in the next few weeks. But after watching South Carolina, what they did, I think you're right. I think the coaches all got together, got on a conference call about him and said, look, when we play this guy, let's just run him into the dirt. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, because Spurrier was the one that kind of let it slip at his conference or um, on his show. And he just kind of mentioned <laughs> it by accident, and I, I caught it, and I'm like, okay, that's perfect because that's just like me. <laughs> so it's like – when he talks about it, you can tell that 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 they have that as their goal. He didn't let up in all He did not. He put. He kept his foot on the gas and kept trying. And I think all of the coaches who are playing um, Arkansas this year, that's their goal. Yeah, I mean it's just something that that'll be a lesson to any other coach out there. Be careful what you say because you never know who your new employer will be. But Arkansas, you know, I saw signs of them going up, you know, getting better and everything during the season. But after yesterday, how does this team rebound, Sonia? How do you – when you look at it and you get beat like this, can you rebound from a beating like this? You can. And I think the biggest problem with Arkansas right now is it's like, okay, first they go from, you know, losing losing Petrino. You know, so they lose him and then they have – I just have to call him the clown because that's all he was, the clown – <clears throat> then you get this new coach, he comes in, but there's already predisposed bad blood between him and, and the other coaches. So you got all these kids walking into this, and all they want to do is play. And I think, I really do think that Arkansas can get it together, but they're going to have to get through this, this you know, the, the Welcome Brett Belima tour. <laughs> if they can get through that, then, hey, they're good to go. <laughs> it's like a hazing. Well, Yes. Yeah, well, well, I appreciate y'all. I appreciate y'all coming on, guys. Stay on there and, and press number one, Sonia, when you're done right here, and then press number one if you want to get back on. Because I'm sure we're going to be talking about Alabama in a minute. Um, the guys, she's right. Sonia's right about that. He ran his mouth, Trey, and then all of a sudden now these coaches are going to make him pay. I know that made her very happy yesterday. Well, I think partly partly it's his mouth, partly it's, you know, for Spurrier, I think you don't have a homecoming in an SEC opponent like that. I mean, you just, you just don't, so. <laughs> well, congratulations, Bill, and Spurrier made you his little you-know-what. Uh, what a game, but, hey, what a game, number five game. I caught the upset in this one. I picked Ole Miss at home, a night game, to beat Texas A&M, and, and Jonathan, I was close, man. I was so close. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a performance by both teams there, especially Ole Miss. That was absolutely fantastic, the way Ole Miss fought. And, you know, like you and I had talked about uh, previously, Ole Miss being home for the first time in about a month was huge for them. I mean, this was a different team than we saw against Alabama and Auburn. This was an energized team. This was a pumped-up team. It was fantastic to see them come out and fight. It's a shame they fell just short. I would have loved to have seen A&M get knocked down the rankings and knock Johnny Manziel down a notch. Trey, did Johnny Manziel impress you last night? Because after that game, I, I still think he's the Heisman front runner, and I know he turned the ball over a couple of times in that game, but he's the reason they won that game. Well, I mean, he was incredible. Let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, what he, what he did in the fourth quarter again was just remarkable. I mean, I just I, every time he got on the field, every time I thought he was down, every time I thought he was going to do something crazy, it just all worked out for him. And it was just it was it was actually really fun to watch. That was a really fun game. 
late at night, you know, just a good game to finish off college football for the week. It was, I mean, Manziel is most definitely the Heisman front runner. Well, how does how does Ole Miss bounce back? I mean, they started out undefeated. They lose to Alabama on the road in Tuscaloosa. They got shut down. They got beat up. They got humbled. And then they went into Jordan-Hare Stadium at night, and Auburn beat them down and let them come back closer to the end of the game. And then they come back home, and, and God, they let one slip away there at the end. And now guess what? LSU comes to town, Trey. I mean, what is Hugh Freeze going to do in order to get this team back up? Because they looked last night like they were devastated. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Tarvin. They absolutely did. I mean, they just – this is a team now that's got so much um, ground to pick themselves back up from because, I mean, they've lost a lot of really tough games. And last night – or, yeah, last night was just uh, the heartbreaker of the century for them. And for some reason, I'm having trouble remembering the quarterback's name for Ole Miss, the backup, not Wallace. What's his name? Um, I can't think of it. Yeah, it just seems like to me when he was in the game that they clicked better, they played harder, and it just seems like they took they took Bo Wallace back in at the wrong times. I mean, is that something Jonathan Hugh Freeze is going to have to decide who his quarterback is? I think that's a problem with his team right now. They don't have that leader on it, especially on offense. I agree. I mean, two, when you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Uh, you know, this is just not – obviously it's not a working function. Because they had two totally different skill um, assets, and Brunetti was the one who was able to spark that offense and get get them back in the game. Because at one point, when Anum was going to pull away, Brunetti comes back in. Next thing you know, boom, boom, we're right there. I, you know, I don't understand Hugh Freeze right now. He has done a horrid job coaching these past three weeks. Somebody needs to, you know, get his head examined. Yeah, Trey, what do you think about the quarterback situation at Ole Miss? It just seems like they're confused. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And with Jonathan, you just, there's just a lot of – how many times have you seen a two-quarterback situation work out well? I mean, it's not a common scenario that plays out well. I think Hugh Freeze needs to pull the trigger. I think I think it's limiting Wallace. And I think we clearly saw um, Brunetti play much better against Texas A&M. You know, so he needs to pull the trigger. I mean, even if it's just for a game, I mean, just let one guy go out there and, and see what happens. But I don't like this back and forth. Yeah, and, and LSU comes into town this weekend. I mean, if they lose this fourth game in a row, which I think they will, I think during the season I predicted them to lose all of those. But Texas A&M, Trey, I just, I just see it falling apart after that. I don't, I don't think they can recover from four in a row. Yeah, I think it's going to be a long season. They'll, they'll be bowl eligible. I mean, they're going to make a bowl, Tarvin. So, you know, what Hugh Breeze has to do now is is get some momentum back because you don't want to have just one big recruiting class. I mean, they need to have something to build on uh, for next year, and they need to have a, an ending this year that tells all these, you know, five-star recruits they got in and, and tells recruits who they want to get in that this is a program that's still building. Yeah, and I mean, what a game it was, though. They showed a lot of heart last night coming back against Texas A&M. A&M showed a lot of heart. Johnny Menzel did a great job last night. Hopefully he won't play like that next weekend against Auburn. Hopefully that, that knee's hurting him or something and he doesn't play at 100%. But, I mean, Texas A&M's a team, Trey, if you look at them, I mean, they could win the rest of their games. I mean, that's how good they are and sneak in just like Alabama did last year. Um, give us your chances or your thoughts of them actually winning the West. Can they do it? 
It's, it's, it's possible. I mean, I don't think it's the most probable at this time. I mean, yeah, they can win out. Um, but I do want to address something that uh, in the chat room, Tarvin, uh, Jason Humphreys, our, our resident Oregon fan, was, was hating on us, saying that you know, nobody in the chat room, nobody on the show watches Oregon play, and that since we're talking about Johnny Manziel and being the frontrunner of the Heisman, that they, we're not watching Marcus Mariota and all he's doing. Well, Tarvin, I just want to say that, that I did watch Oregon, and we'll talk about that in a second, but even with what we're going to talk about, you know, Mariota was able to do and has done all year, Manziel has just played such good competition. He's been so clutch in the fourth quarter. He's had to show leadership and poise in very tough situations. That's why I have Manziel over Mariota right now, Tarvin. I just wanted to address that real quick. Yeah, and I, I think if you took Mariota off Oregon, guys, they're still undefeated. I really do believe that. I think somebody can run that system. If you take Johnny Manziel off of Texas a and I just don't think they can win many games because of their defense. He's the reason. And his stats, Paul put up something in the chat room or on the Facebook page about his stats are, are just like they were last year. The only difference is they didn't beat Alabama. But if he runs through the rest of this season, Jonathan, if if Manziel runs through the, the season, say he's 10-2, and two, they make a BCS bowl game, is he a Heisman Trophy winner again? Uh, I think that depends on uh, way too many factors. Uh, you know, if Marcus Mariota um, or uh, Jameis Winston, let's say, you know, both those quarterbacks are putting up great numbers. Uh, Taj Boyd, I, you know, Taj Boyd, uh, let's just go with Jameis Winston and uh, Marcus Mariota. Let's say Oregon and Florida State are both undefeated at the end of the year. I think they both get a nod over Manziel just due to the fact that Manziel won it last year, and we all know the Heisman Committee doesn't like rewarding guys two years in a row. Uh, they like to have fresh blood every year. And because, for, you know, the way the Heisman works is the best friend of the best team. And we, that's the only reason why Manti Teo was, you know, finished second in the running last year. He was, you know, the best player on a 12 0 Notre Dame team. So we're going to see somebody from an undefeated team get there, whether it be Mariota for Oregon or Winston for Florida State or Boyd from Clemson. I mean, one of those guys is going to show up. And they could spoil the Manziel uh, two-timer party. Well, Trey, uh, Brian Burgess in the chat room, he doesn't think Texas A&M has a shot to beat LSU, and he made a point if they can contain him like they did last year. I don't think that LSU defense, guys, and Trey, tell me if I'm wrong, is what they were last year. And I think Johnny Manziel, I don't think anybody can really shut him down. Do you? Well, no, I think they can shut him down completely, no. I think LSU's got some talent enough to frustrate Manziel. I mean, LSU can do it, Tarvin, and their defense, I think right now, is better than Alabama's was when Manziel played them. And, and of course, he carved up Alabama's defense. But I think LSU's defense is better than that. I think LSU is going to be probably the best defense that Manziel's have going to face by that point. So I agree with Brian. I think I think Manziel might meet his match in LSU, but we'll have to see about that one yet. We're not picking that one yet. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping Auburn can play defense and slow him down this weekend. That's a that's a big game, Trey. I'm sure is going to make your your list hopefully this weekend. But let's move on <laughs> to the next game. The, the shocker of the weekend to me. Uh, this was the shocker. Texas three and two. Mac Brown, the lame duck. Really, you think Texas has laid down? They should have lost to Iowa State the Thursday night before. But, Trey, they come in and annihilate Oklahoma. Number 12-ranked Oklahoma annihilated them in Dallas. Yeah, and, and you know, what's crazy, Tarvin, is I, I was, you know, ho-hum, woe is me for picking Texas to win the Big 12. Well, <laughs> 
they just they, they may have the the control of the Big Twelve now. I know people don't still think Baylor, but Baylor barely pulled out a win against Kansas State, who's pretty terrible. So this Big Twelve, I think, is a little bit more open. And what Texas was able to do, Tarvin, I can't even put into words. I have no idea how that happened. Yeah, and then you look like you said Baylor, but Texas is different. I mean, now they have usually you don't see a team quit and then all of a sudden start playing great football again. But they played great football yesterday. And the thing about them against Baylor, Texas has the athletes on defense to slow down and frustrate that offense, and that's a thing. But do they do they have the want to and the fire in them to do it? And now I think, you know, Mac Brown's selling them on, hey, we can win the Big 12 and still make a BCS Bowl. Let's go, guys. And I think they bought into a trade. How did Mac Brown win his team over again? Well, I mean, that's the thing, man. I have no idea what Mac Brown did, and his press press conference was kind of funny because I mean, I think I think he was kind of surprised to be honest. But I'll tell you, I mean, they're now three and zero in the Big Twelve. They're at TCU next uh, on October twenty sixth, uh, and they have Kansas, West Virginia, and so they have three winnable games before they hit Oklahoma State, and then they have Texas Tech and Baylor at the end of the year. So. Their next three, they could be six and zero heading heading home to play Oklahoma State. So we'll we'll see, Tarvin. I'm not so sure that this Texas team is good enough to be six and zero at that point. But uh, I don't know, Tarvin. We'll see. I have no words. Jonathan, what do you think, buddy? I don't know what happened on Saturday in the Cotton Bowl. Um, <laughs> my goodness, what, what I I still can't comprehend Oklahoma. And just the over, it looked like a lack of effort. It looked like Oklahoma thought they were going to walk in. They'd beaten them, you know, 56-19 and 53-21. Thought they were going to walk in and just smoke them again. And it just really confused me, especially when Josh Hupel, offensive coordinator, supposed to be a really bright mind, does not look at the BYU film and say, oh, run the ball. We have Blake Bell. We have Trevor Knight, two mobile quarterbacks. We have, you know, three running backs who are very, 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 very good. And they want to continue to throw the ball down the field. That became a huge problem for me. I don't know if Texas can make that push to win the Big 12. I still think their last three games of the year are extremely tough. But, I mean, my my goodness, I'm, I'm really impressed with the way Case McCoy played out of anybody in that game. And everybody wrote them off because of him, and he came out and proved everybody wrong, including myself. Yeah. Yeah, and Trey, Oklahoma only fell six spots in the polls, and to me that made me scratch my head. Granted, they were number 12, they were 5-0, and but the way they got beat by a not-so-good Texas team, that makes me question the pollsters in a way. Should they have fallen uh, further down than 18? I'm okay with where they they fell, because if you look at the AP, the teams that are behind them, Virginia Tech, uh, okay, Washington's two losses, Oklahoma State's got a loss, Florida with two losses, and you start getting Northern Illinois territory. So I'm okay where they are, um, but this is one of those things for Oklahoma where, Tarvin, I'm not so sure that this is the kind of team that didn't just crumble their season. I mean, these guys, I think, expected to win. I think that's what Jonathan was really getting at, was Oklahoma went into this game expecting expecting it to be easy. And Texas was very fired up. I mean, this is a huge rivalry. I mean, so to me, it was like Oklahoma came into this game with um, basically the the perspective that they were just going to win. It was going to be really simple. Texas had already folded, and, you know, this was the Red River, you know, blowout again. And, you know, 
so Oklahoma and coaching, this is where I come down to that, Tarvin. They didn't prepare enough. Well, you know, I think you're right. I think Oklahoma, they looked at the point spread. They heard all week how how good they were and how bad Texas was. I think you're right. They lost their edge. And, and maybe that's what the pollsters are looking at, that they, they let their guard down. But rival games are not where you let your guard down, guys. This is the biggest rival on both teams' schedules. They live for this game. And I don't buy the excuse they weren't ready in a way. I'm not going to buy that. But I do understand how it could happen. But, guys, you come to play the Red River rivalry. That's why you go to Oklahoma. That's why you go to Texas. And to lay an egg like that um, just makes me question Bob Stoops. It's really, you know, every year he lays an egg. Every single season he lays an egg. I understand Texas, they're falling apart. You know, they're trying to regroup. But Bob Stoops, Trey, always underachieved. So I'm just – I'm questioning Oklahoma how long they're going to keep Stoops around when he keeps losing games like this. That's something to keep your eyes on. And the next game was a thriller, guys. Georgia, the seventh-ranked team, playing Missouri, snuck into the polls tray at 25. You and I weren't ready to pull the trigger on this game, but everybody's saying Georgia lost this game because of the injuries on offense. Well, Trey, did they have any injuries on defense because Missouri let them up? Yeah, I mean – you know, Franklin, when he, you know, before he got hurt, was lighting him up. And then when he got, you know, when he left the game, they still lit him up. I mean, so Missouri was still moving the ball. Yeah, I mean, defense wasn't the reason, you know, that, you know, the injuries happened and they lost this game. I didn't see a lot of missed talent on the receiver and running backs that, you know, oh, well, if Curley was playing, you know, that run would have been different. I mean, certainly these players matter. But Tarvin, they didn't, I don't think they lost this game because of injuries. I think they just lost this game because they just got beat. Yeah, Tennessee took it out of them, Jonathan, last week. You could see, I mean, that took a lot of energy. The Two weeks ago when they played LSU in Athens, and that was a, just a barn burner thriller game. It took a lot emotionally out of Georgia. And then they, they weren't ready last week when Tennessee almost beat them. Do you think they kind of let off the gas a little bit going into this week, thinking, okay, it's Missouri coming in, we can beat them with what we have? I don't think they did. Um, you know, I, do I think that uh, injuries and offense played a role in this game? Of course I do. You know, you can't lose a guy like Todd Gurley and say that they didn't miss a step. But that defense is not as good as people are trying to give them credit for. And I think Missouri knew that coming in. Missouri came and fired up. Missouri surprised a lot of people. And in all honesty, Missouri surprised me. So I thought Georgia would pull this that this one out late. And when they had the when Georgia had the opportunity to come on and try and pull this one out, they failed. Missouri's defense held true. I mean, I was really impressed with James Franklin, who everybody had left for dead last season after such a horrible year. You know, hats off to Missouri. The big winners of the top twenty five as we move up to fourteen. I mean, holy cow. Missouri's sitting there going, we're thinking of Atlanta now. Yeah. And, Trey, just how does this impact uh, when people look at LSU's one loss right now, that loss to Georgia, how does it look now? I mean, I think LSU was the biggest loser because of Georgia performing the way they did losing that game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Georgia, you know, getting knocked down with their second loss, and now Georgia's looking like a team who's, who, you know, all those close games they had, it looks like a team that, that were playing close games because they're not as good as we thought they were. And, you know, the one team, well, I think right now, who probably love that outcome, Tarvin, has got to be Alabama because Alabama's got to be thinking, please, 
please, God, let Missouri somehow win the East because we will destroy them in the SEC championship game. But that's got to be what Alabama's thinking is, like, if there's a way that Missouri can get in there, that would be phenomenal. Um, Yeah, I don't think they can with Florida and South Carolina back-to-back coming up with no quarterback. Yeah, they're they're going to lose a couple games here. They may actually lose to Tennessee. I, I'm not sold on Missouri at all, Tarvin. So I, I'm just my my point is is right now, you know, Missouri moved all the way up. You know, again, this is a team that's going to get posed this weekend. Florida's going to beat them, but I know we're not calling yep. that game. But good good win on Missouri beating Georgia. Well, you look at don't forget Georgia Clemson too. Yeah, they've I mean, they've lost one. Georgia's still that front runner. They beat South Carolina. Yeah. South Carolina yeah, needs Georgia to lose again. Yeah, they will. Trust me. And and Trey, you know, looking at Clemson, I'm I'm not that sold on them as much. You know, they beat Georgia 38-35. But just watching how Georgia's played this year, and I don't know. And maybe that's the reason the odds makers have put Florida State a two and a half point favorite over Clemson in Clemson. So I, I think that game, Georgia game, affected a lot of people. You know the way they thought about Clemson's win, the way they they looked at LSU. So the two biggest losers besides Georgia this weekend with this game was Clemson and LSU guys. I'm telling you, when we'll see it the next couple of weeks and see how it pans out. But Georgia, Trey, where do they go from here? I mean, the the schedule gets easier, of course. I mean, they play Auburn um, on the road. That looks like a winnable game for Auburn now. But how do they come back? Well, I mean. They got obviously Gurley is, is is a potential coming back next week. So, but you know they need at least two of their guys can get healthy. But I mean they they have to get past it. I mean you, you just can't you can't have your offense be different. They're gonna have to figure out how to get their offense back to full strength even with new guys. And the defense has got lapses that they that that you know, didn't affect the offense. So uh, they got to go back to the drawing board, figure out which guys they can play and which guys uh, help them with their offensive scheme. And hopefully Gurley gets back healthy. Yeah, and, and I look at this. I don't think they can beat Florida. Um, I do not think they can beat Florida in a neutral site with what they have now. If Gurley comes back and possibly they can make it a better game, and I don't think they can go to Auburn and win because I continue to think they're going to get better. Georgia could end up being a 7-5 and five team, guys, or something like that possibly. End up playing at the the weed eater motor eating bowl, whatever it's called. If they're not careful, so they better get it together and, and find themselves. Aaron Murray, you don't you don't want to send him out like this, guys. I mean, he's too great of a quarterback to go out like this. And and Trey, if they do go seven and five or eight and four, and they they miss out on a chance to play in the SEC championship, is Mark Rick back on the hot seat again, or is he going to use those injuries mm-hmm. as an excuse? Well, I don't think he needs to use his excuse. I think Georgia's fans should definitely consider that. I mean, they're not going to get a coach better than Mark Rick. I mean, I just don't. I just don't think they are. And Mark Rick is not the reason uh, their, their team their team goes south this year. It's not going to be his fault. Well, it's his fault for hiring that dumb defensive coordinator. I think it is. I mean, <laughs> I mean that defense mm-hmm. in Georgia has been bad for a long time with the talent they have. But we won't stay on Georgia all night since Atlanta's had a tough week and they don't need me talking about him, you know, too bad. <laughs> so so the next game, guys, the Florida Gators on the road, number 17th ranked, went to Baton Rouge, and I, I picked LSU to win the game, but, but, Trey, I'd be lying if I wasn't disappointed in the way Florida's offensive coordinator handicapped them for four quarters. 
Well, you know, I think part of it was the offensive coordinator. Part of it, I think, was, you know, players not executing. I think LSU had a really good defensive scheme. Uh, and, you know, again, you know, the thing about, and I know Paul is a big Florida fan, is, man, that Florida defense is probably the best in the country. And they just, they didn't got, they got nothing on offense to help them out in that game. But is it is it because maybe LSU's defense stepped up and they have been getting better? I mean, it just takes time. They have talent on that defense, and Chavis is is starting to say he's seeing results in practice. They're finally starting to get it. How much of that game was LSU's defense? Well, I give FS, uh, excuse me, LSU's defense a lot of credit. I thought they played really good. I saw a lot of good schemes, a lot of good blitzes. They really seemed to to have really a good play call for whenever Florida was going to call, you know, to keep Murphy down. So I just, I really thought LSU, you can credit LSU's defense an awful lot. I think Pease, obviously, you know, I know Paul's in the chat room uh, blowing him up. I think he's part of the problem, but I give a lot of credit to what LSU was able to do on defense in this game. Well, Jonathan, I blame the offensive coordinator probably 75% out of 100 in this because I've seen it all season with him. Um, he's a bad play caller, man. I, I I don't care. Florida lost. That was the highlight of my Saturday. Florida <laughs> lost to LSU, and I hit that right. I even hit the spread, and I hit the total. That was a fantastic game. I am very proud of the LSU Tigers. I am very proud of the Florida Gators because they did a great job of doing what I said they would do. That's just – that was Florida Gator football, guys, and I loved every minute of it. I loved every second of the Florida Gator collapse against LSU. That was uh, that was bliss. But I'll tell you this, guys. LSU is the real deal. I mean, the running game they have, the receivers, Mettenberger looks like a brand-new quarterback, the defense starting to come together, special teams. Trey, LSU is a scary football team right now, and they're going to be for the rest of the season. Yeah, sorry, I was typing in the chat room there, but yeah, oh, RG3 just broke a huge run. But, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Tony. LSU has improved in so many ways this, this season. I mean, you know, Brian thought out in the chat room because I was talking about Alabama in the, in the, in the championship game that I was saying Alabama is going to automatically get there. I think Alabama fans may think that. Uh, but LSU is going to be very, very tough for, um, for Alabama coming up here soon because LSU is progressing in all the right ways. And we will be talking about Bama after we get through with our games. We've got a few topics I want to discuss about the the Crimson Tide here and, and talk about the differences I see from last year. Everybody's got them number one, and I really do want to talk about that and see because I do see a couple of losses possible on that schedule, Jonathan. I'm not ready to, to crown them national champions just yet. I still see some issues uh, with Alabama, whether they can correct them or not. That's the – that's the story. I guess we're going to find out in a few minutes when we talk about them. But the number one game, and and honestly, it wasn't the number one game. It was exactly about the way I thought it would go. I thought Oregon would dominate the game. Washington is, is a good team. I think Washington's a legit top 25 team, guys. I think they're a good football team. They've had a tough schedule so far. Oregon went on the road trade and just took care of business like I thought they would. Anything stand out to you in that game? Well, I mean, I think it's hard to say that they took care of business as if it was not a really tough football game. Washington played very well. Uh, Washington's a very good football team, uh, a lot better than I think people realized uh, at the beginning of the season, including me. 
Uh, I'll tell you that Marcus Mariota is a phenomenal football player. I think he's easily 1A at Heisen for me. I mean, he's just playing incredibly um, at the quarterback position. His decisions, uh, his passing precision has gone way up. And this was a guy who wasn't extremely accurate. Uh, he's gotten a lot better with his passing. And he's just he's just phenomenal, Tarvin. The guy has just not turned the ball over at all. Uh, and he has, I mean, right now, if he plays the way he's playing, Oregon's going to be undefeated at the end of the year. And they didn't even have, Jonathan, they didn't have DeAnthony Thomas on the field, which is, is huge for an offense like that. He's a he's a difference maker in the game. And for them to, to be able to separate themselves against the Washington team on the road, that's a very well-coached team, I think that's amazing. Oh, it was. I mean, Oregon did. I, you know, I'm, I'm impressed with Oregon. They're all my number one team in the nation right now. That was a very impressive victory. You know, their their defense is much improved from last season. I think that, you know, the way Oregon played without Anthony Thomas, the way Marcus Mariota has been playing is just amazing. He is a fantastic quarterback. He is definitely uh, top, you know, top three Heisman, if not top two. You know, him and Manziel right now is the race with everybody else trying to catch up. That was just a fantastic ball game to watch. You know, my hat's off to Oregon as they're, you know, they deserve more than those five first-place votes. Well, you know, we have to stop the show right now because we have Jason Humphrey, the big Ducks fan, you know, on the line. And, and Trey, I wonder what his thoughts are going to be. I looked at his review video and preview, so let's see what he has to say. Jason, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Hello, can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Alright, so Ogan beats Washington for the tenth time. Ogan dominated the tenth ranked defense in the nation and Ogan was good just like one of you guys said, if Marcus Mayota takes care of the ball, there's no reason we shouldn't run up the table to Pasadena. Yeah, I mean, Oregon looked good. Tell us how DeAnthony Thomas is looking. When, when can we expect him back in the lineup? Um, I, I told my wife, I, probably UCLA or maybe Stanford. I think he could play. I think it's just a precautionary reason and a one And right now it looks like we don't need him. Ryan Marshall is doing excellent. So I'm just... Let him heal. So he wasn't pads yesterday. So hey, Jason, yeah. I have a question for you. I heard someone say prior to Saturday that the Pac-12 North was better than the SEC West. What is your thoughts on that? It can be, but with Stanford's loss, um, I I don't see it. Um, you got the SEC, um. You said the West, right? They got Alabama, yeah. LSU, A and M, which is probably three really good teams and really top ten teams. Um, I see Oregon maybe beating A and M or two of those top three, but I don't think Washington could beat an Alabama. I don't think Stanford could beat an Alabama or an A and M or LSU. I think right now it's Oregon and everybody else in that note. I don't think it's yeah. competitive. Not for the time, but 
Well, Jason, I appreciate that, bud. Uh, you got your radio. Somebody's got the radio on in the background or something. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of noise. Uh, but, Trey, what are your thoughts on the Pac-12 North being stronger than the SEC West? I mean, I don't know what to say, but this is no. I mean, the Pac – well, this guy for Dallas has almost returned another touchdown. Um, but, I know. Uh, I was watching that. Yeah. Kind of got me distracted. But, uh, no, they're, they're the number two – I think if you talk about, you know, divisions, number two, but uh, not number one. No way. Jonathan, I mean, people are really – I mean, the Pac-12 North is good, but is it good enough to – when you have Alabama, LSU, and A&M in the top seven, and then you have an Auburn team coming on strong, and even Ole Miss can beat you on days, is it better than the SEC West? Jeez. Um, I don't know about that now. Uh, you know, we just saw Stanford go down. I, I can't, I can't say that Oregon, Washington, Stanford is better than Alabama, LSU, and uh, Ole Miss or Auburn. I, that, that's too much for uh, me to commit to. Yeah, and speaking of of Stanford guys, and and the funny thing about it is, Lou Holtz is, is saying Stanford lost the game, Trey. Uh, because they had midterms all week and they were tired. I mean, are you buying that? Well, I mean, I don't know. I've never taken midterms at Stanford. I can imagine it's probably pretty tough. So, I mean, there may be something to that. Um, but, you know, that's that comes down to, to coaching and preparation. You have to plan for those kind of things well in advance. I'm not buying it. I think Lou Holtz is so full of crap. They need to get him off ESPN immediately. But, Jonathan, I know you're high at Stanford, so I have to, you know, I don't get to do it much, but I get to brag a little bit. Stanford, man, they're going to lose three games this year. Are you buying or selling that? Um, You know, I'm going to sell that right now. Uh, They already got past Washington. I I look at that Oregon game, and it's still leading Stanford's way, but it's definitely much more winnable for Oregon than before. I definitely dropped Stanford to maybe a 51% favorite of Oregon now just to, uh, you know, hold on to a little something. But Stanford did not look prepared for that game at all. And I think that has nothing to do with the midterms. I think that had more to do with they saw the way UCLA um, on an off night beat Utah, and they probably thought they could do the same thing. It's hard to walk into Rice-Eccles and pull out a victory like that. You know, my hat's off to Utah. That was a great victory for an up-and-coming program. Well, Trey, when I look at this game and I look at the Pac-12 play, I see a very, very strong conference. You know, they have weak teams like every conference does at the bottom. But is the Pac-12 the second strongest conference in the in the country, or are you going to put them at one? No, they're the second strongest. I mean, I, 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 they're the second strongest. Yeah. I mean, I think Man, they're the number two. Yeah, but it goes to show you, when you play in good conferences, and I wanted to bring this up, when you play in conferences that are, are a lot better than the other ones, and I think the Pac-12 is right up there at number two, very strong conference, you can't take days off sometimes. I mean, it, it shows. In other conferences, you can and, and still get by. But in the Pac-12, a Utah team, just like Jonathan says, you watch UCLA take care of them on an off day, and then all of a sudden you go on the road and they beat you. But my question to you, Trey, why did Stanford get down to the five-yard line and not run the ball in? They did have a timeout. They were running the ball very well. Why throw it and try to get in? Well, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I thought they should have passed as well, or excuse me, run as well over the pass. 
but by the way, just just for Paul Ewing, speaking of passing, what Tony Romo just did was pretty incredible. Uh, what a great pass. I know Paul loves Dallas, so I know he'd want to hear that. Um, <laughs> but I agree with you, Tarvin. I, I like to see you know, Stanford run the football against Utah and their small defensive you know, front seven and you know, try to muscle them. That's what way Stanford is being built. Uh, why not use it? Exactly. I mean, you have a timeout, and that's a time I think Shaw got outcoached. I think he outcoached himself, really. And and Jonathan, how do you think of Shaw now after that game? He was he was a one of those coaches everybody thought was the best in the country. But if you're one of the top coaches in the country, you don't go on the road and lay an egg and not have your team prepared. They didn't look prepared at all. Hello, Jonathan. Are you there? I think we met a oh, lot. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> um, I, I definitely think Shaw is still a good coach, but he really did get out coached. I don't understand the situation to run the, you know, to throw the ball twice. I mean, you have success running the ball. Keep running the football. Why go away? And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Isn't that what the adage is? <sighs> that was that was pitiful. Yeah. Well, well, talking about the polls real quick before we get into the last story of the night. Uh, Trey, the SEC teams, they broke a record. They have eight teams ranked in the top 25. Is is that because of – are you buying that? Is that a little over high for the SEC, or do you agree with all eight teams that are ranked? I think for now I'm okay with it, Tarvin. You know, I mean, the poll is a, is a working, you know, kind of like a working, living, breathing document. I mean, it's it's not set. Do I think all eight of these teams will be ranked? At the end of the year, I don't. Uh, but I think it's right now. I think you, you 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 can make an argument that it's not accurate. But I, I'll tell you what, Carvin, I'm buying it right now. Well, I have a problem, guys. Is and Paul brought up the chat room. Thanks, Paul, for reminding me. Um, you know, Missouri was what 25th in the AP and not ranked in the coaches, and they move all the way up to number 14 by beating a depleted Georgia team and losing their quarterback. Jonathan, do you think that's a little too much of a jump for Missouri when you know you're going to be dropping them back down after next week? I think that was way too much of a jump. I I don't think, you know, Missouri's not going to be ranked number 14 in three weeks. Uh, you know, and when I say that, I mean they're going to fall down the rankings. This this Missouri team, they've, they've had a great start to the year. First SEC team to become more eligible, but I think that them jumping up 15 spots is a little much. Trey, I mean, that's a huge jump for a, for a game that really, in people's minds, wasn't really an upset considering Georgia had a lot of their players out of the game. And they lost their quarterback. Should losing their quarterback uh, out for the season affect their ranking? I think it should. Yeah, and I think I think Tarvin, you're going to see what you're going to see is uh, here's my prediction: the Missouri won't be ranked by the end of the year. No, they won't be. I mean, they they played phenomenal. I mean, they they played a good test against Vanderbilt last week and won. They beat Georgia on the road, and even though they were without, that's still a good win. But I think if I'm a pollster, I don't jump them up into the top 15 for God's sake. And I look at what they lost because part of ranking people is really you have to look at what they lost. And you see it in basketball. Somebody could be a number one seed all year and they lose their best player and all of a sudden they're an eight seed. I think that happened to Cincinnati one year in basketball. You have to look at that when you're ranking these guys. I would probably not have moved Missouri up much at all, maybe a couple of places. 
just to reward them for winning. But you lost your quarterback. It's going to be very hard the next two weeks to even win. So that's one thing that, that I look at with these pollsters. They gave Georgia way too much credit of how good of a team they was. And look at Georgia, guys. That's one thing. If you look in the polls, Georgia didn't fall far at all. They're at 15 and 16. And, Jonathan, I think they should have probably dropped a little farther than that, honestly. Well, I said after they lost, I was talking to a couple of people, and they asked me, how far do you think Georgia's going to fall? I said, they're going to fall between 12 and 15. And everybody, well, why won't they fall lower? Because it's Georgia, an SEC school. They have wins over South Carolina and LSU. Well, you know, nobody's going to drop them after they beat the number six and the number ten team. That, no, you know, number ten team in the nation. Nobody's going to drop them that far. Uh, you know, do I think Georgia should have fallen farther? Yeah, they have two losses. There's undefeated teams and one loss teams that should be ahead of them. But that's just the way the pollsters are. They they're going to vote Georgia higher just because they're an SEC school. Well, Trey, um, I'm going to throw a stat out there at you before we start talking about Bama. But this is a part of what I want to talk about Alabama. But um, are you surprised that Auburn is number one in the SEC in rushing? You know, last year I think they were number 11, something like that, one of the worst offenses in the country. Gus Malzahn comes back. They're averaging 287 a game on the ground. They've almost rushed for 2,000 already. Is that surprising to you? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I'm surprised. obviously you know, Gus Malzahn brought it up a little, high, a little faster than I thought he would. But uh, So, yes, I'm surprised. Uh, but, no, also, I mean, they have – you know, they're, they're running their schedules coming up, so we'll see how well they rush against some of these other teams. But, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I really do think that, that Malzahn has done, done some magic there. And, I'm, you know, that's where their strength for their team really was. And, and Jonathan, if I told you Alabama right now, and, and this is why I'm, I'm kind of hesitant about them being the best right now, and I look at that offensive line and, and just see what they've been doing. They've gotten better the last couple of games, but Alabama, Jonathan, is 10th in the SEC in rushing, averaging 188 yards a game, and the bulk of those were the last couple of games they played. Are you, is that a concern for you when you look at Alabama and people talk about them being number one, their ability to run the football like in years past when they've won those national championships and just dominated other teams? Yeah, I, I didn't realize it was that low, and that is a little concerning to me, and it surprises me. Because we look at Alabama and we think, oh, Nick Saban, Alabama, power run. Um, I, I am very confused. And I do think that is a concern for Alabama, whether Bama fans want to admit it or not, because this is not the running attack we've seen, which opens up for McCarron. And I know McCarron had a big game against Kentucky, but that's Kentucky. Let's not get too excited now. And I want to give you a little taste of what it's doing. Like Auburn's averaging 287. They're number one. The number two team, Arkansas, 216 a game. Missouri, three. Very successful team so far at 239. LSU averaging 194 on the ground. They're number four. But when you start talking 10 through 14, you've got Alabama, 10. Uh, Florida, 11. They've struggled on offense. Ole Miss, they've never been able to run the football. 12. Vanderbilt, 13. And Kentucky, 14. That concerns me, Trey. If I'm a Bama fan out there looking, there's something of an identity crisis they're going through and their inability to run the football has to be concerning. Well, I mean, I think part of it, you're talking about inability to run the football, but also they have a, you know, pretty darn good quarterback who they're throwing the ball around in Amari Cooper. Uh, and so I think part of it is the strategy. I mean, they're throwing the ball, they're throwing the ball more, which is causing them to run less. Well, let's, let's look at that. And that's a good point you brought up. And I knew you were going to do that because I know Trey, I've known you a long time. Uh, Alabama is seventh in the SEC in passing 
And, see, when you have 10th and 7th, I don't think that's a balance. If Alabama was up 2 or 3 in passing, I could see that. A&M is number one at 361 a game. Bama's averaging 260 a game. Auburn's averaging 187. They're number 12. So when you look at Kentucky 10, Florida 11, Auburn 12, Arkansas 13 and 14, you can see there's a big difference there. But Alabama 7, Jonathan, it doesn't sell me on they're throwing the ball a lot and being successful with it. I think the offensive line is still an issue for the Tide right now. Well, their offensive line does look like it is, you know, not as strong as it has in years past. But here's something I want to point out. Who has Alabama played that they really need to put up their impressive offensive numbers? I mean, other than Ole Miss, Alabama, I mean, Ole Miss and A&M, what kind of, you know, extremely tough contest were they in? I understood, you know, Virginia Tech kind of handled them offensively. I mean, it really took such teams in defense to get them out, you know, out of that game uh, alive. But, Alabama's played Georgia State, Kentucky, Colorado State. I mean, yeah, do you expect an offensive explosion in those games? Probably. But you got to remember, Nick Saban doesn't coach that way, which is why I was confused when Saban had his team going forward on fourth down late in that Kentucky game. I'm trying to figure out if he's mad at Mark Stoops or something uh, and was just trying to rub in some salt into that wound. Yeah, and, and Trey, you look at the opponents they play. They played. Colorado State, Georgia State, Kentucky. I mean, they they beat Texas A&M and they threw the ball, and that was against a bad defense. But, I mean, that has to be alarming to you because championship teams of Alabama's past, 2009, 2011, and 2012, they ran the football with big physical offensive lines and they, they imposed their will. Are they going to get better, Trey? That's what I want to ask you. Are they going to get better, and do they have to get better in order to to win out and play for a national championship? Well, I mean, it's tough to say because, I mean, Alabama hasn't been playing the best competition, so we haven't seen them in big games. And we know the Ole Miss game got much hyped, but we know Ole Miss isn't there yet. We know we saw something special out of Alabama, at least offensively, when they when they came back against Texas A&M. So, the one game we have, we saw them get tested. I mean, they overcame that. So we'll get to see them versus a pretty darn good and progressing defense in LSU coming soon. And that's what we'll see, Carvin, is how they're able to handle a much you know, young, aggressive defense in LSU because that's when uh, it's really going to be interesting to whether or not Alabama has problems on offense or if this is just saving, you know, sitting off the accelerator when in, the, in the second half of these games. And I'll tell you what, Alabama, when their starting center went down, that's when they started running the football. And in the last few games, I've really seen the old Alabama, and I wanted to mention that. And I know it's Kentucky and Georgia State, but Kentucky has a very big physical defensive front, and Alabama just dominated it. They had about 300 on the ground. And I think Alabama found something. I think they had a chemistry issue on that offensive line. I think they, they're working it out. But I, I see every week, I do see Alabama getting better. I see them taking steps in the right directions up front on both sides of the ball and on defense. That A&M game was kind of weird to see that many points put up on Bama. But if you've noticed since that Alabama game, they have started shutting people down. I mean, they shut a good old Miss offense down to nothing. I mean, zero. And I know – Hugh Freeze neglected to kick some field goals that would have put some points on the board. But you have to watch Alabama's offensive line. If they struggle, 
down the stretch running the football, you have to be concerned because LSU, to beat them, you're going to have to be able to run the football. And I don't know, I see LSU getting better too. And if you're going to beat Auburn on the road with the way they run the football, you have to run it too. And one thing that will surprise you about Auburn, Travis, I just wanted to mention that before we talk about something else, is they're third in the SEC in scoring defense, which is a miracle. You never thought that would be happening this early, or I didn't. Maybe you did. I didn't see that happening. And Alabama, a lot of people are overlooking that Auburn game already, and I think with the right luck and magic, you never know what can happen in an Iron Bowl, Jonathan. I think you're right. Um, I would love to see what's going to happen in the Iron Bowl this year. I really do, because Auburn can run the football like nobody's business, and I'm glad you brought up Auburn because I wanted to put point out that I was really impressed with the way Jeremy Johnson played on Saturday. I know it was Western Carolina. I mean, I, I, I get that, but he still played phenomenal against, you know, a football team, even though the Division Two, It's still a team that came out looking for an upset, thinking, oh, we got a true freshman in this first start. Really impressed with the way Johnson played. Loved the way you know Auburn can still run the football. This is this is a much improved Auburn team from a year ago, from that disaster from a year ago. Well, since you brought that up, I will say, and Trey, you can chime in on this. Um, this was a test. This shows Auburn's coaching in this game, and it's Western Carolina. They suck. Don't get me wrong. But to see the focus this team had, I got it on pay-per-view free from DirecTV. So thank you, DirecTV. Um, but, Trey, I saw a team that didn't take anybody for granted. They they played everybody, but they played hard. Every every possession, every snap, this team played hard. And that's something I look at when I see lesser opponents. That's why I watch these games and see how, how well you're coached. Did, you, did anything stand out to you in that game against Western Carolina, Trey? No, honestly, not really. I mean, nothing really stood out. I mean, uh, Johnson, I, was, I mean, other than Johnson as a true freshman, um, you know, really played in the state free football against a really terrible team. But, you know, I mean, they were playing a team who was far, far, far um, less talented yeah. than Auburn. I do like I do like what Miles on doing there. I think he's really got him focused up. I agree. And the last thing I want to talk about tonight, and this story does not go away, and, and Paul wanted to talk about it too. And this is – and I just want y'all's thoughts. We won't stay much longer, maybe 10 minutes at the most. But, but Trey, we'll start with you. Uh, Alabama – you know, with their NCAA investigation going on with the agents and different things. Uh, I hear a lot of other teams out there, you know, Penn State fans, Miami, Southern Cal, even A&M fans out there upset that the NCAA hasn't made a move, and even though they're investigating. And I just want to, your thoughts to see Mark Emmert, you know, he was Nick Saban's boss at LSU with some things going on that weren't so good got in trouble with that. And also the one of the head of compliance at the NCAA is a is an Alabama graduate. I just want your thoughts on this. Is that concerning to you that that Alabama has all this stuff going on? And I'll read through the timeline in a minute, but is this an issue if you're trying to be fair and just and and discipline teams the correct way and be fair? Is this a concern to you? Well, I mean not until I not until there's a finality to it. I mean if this comes out and the NCAA takes really no look into this, then, yeah, I think we have an issue. But, I mean, I'm ho- you know, right now I still think the NCAA is still looking into it. This kind of stuff takes a little bit of time. Uh, but it shouldn't take a whole lot longer, Tarvin. We should be hearing real soon. I mean, we'll look back and, and uh, just reading through this. The Alabama system was suspended for providing improper benefits 
to a player. And these aren't isolated events. And, and when you look at it, Jonathan, Alabama has a repeat violator status, I think, until next year in 2014. And if, if these things are true, what's coming out, and Alabama self-reported, the NCAA is looking into them right now, but they self-reported this issue with the coach. Is there something else going on? And if so, will the NCAA, even Emerson's friend, will they will they come down hard on Alabama or will they let them off with a slap on the wrist? You know, I would hope that they come down hard on Alabama just to show that they're not partial to any one program. But this is the NCAA. Uh, we saw how they kind of let Ohio State skate with uh, the 12 flyer suspension. Oh, well, we'll let you do it next year. Mm. I mean, of course, all those guys left, naturally. Of course they're going to leave. Why, why would they stay? They could be suspended five games. This is um, it's going to be an interesting development to watch because you have that that factor where it is Saban's old boss. And, there, you know, there have been reports of the improprieties that happened under his watch at LSU. So I... I honestly don't know if Bama gets to walk away from that. Well, in April 2013, the USA Today uh, reported that, you know, there was uh, some fraud going on at LSU, academic fraud with Saban and Emmert. And in the same story, Emmert was also tied to scandals at UConn, Washington, and Montana State, other schools he was serving to prior to taking over the NCAA. And Saban claimed no knowledge of it, and that's fine. But shortly after Saban arrived at Alabama, guys, Josh Chapman had a high school grade change to make him eligible. Allegations that teachers were pressured to change grades. And then we we get all of this other stuff going on. In 2007, Saban was disciplined for bumping into recruits. In 2008, Andre Smith was suspended for the Sugar Bowl for receiving uh, improper benefits from an agent. In March 2009, Alabama did admit to violations for the textbooks and got on probation. Five football players were suspended four games each for using their athletic scholarships to get free textbooks. And, I mean, it just keeps going on and on, guys. In 2009 of August, August 2009, Julio Jones and Mark Ingram were sanctioned for accepting improper benefits after the pair took a fishing trip uh, to Athens. And no punishment, really. I mean, it's just going on and on. Marcel Darius in July, you have T-Town menswear going on, and now all of this, Trey. I mean, it's just a big rap sheet going on. This can't be just a, a slap on the wrist or a coincidence. That's why Yahoo won't let the story go right now. They keep pushing it almost every day until somebody hears them. Well, yeah, I think you're right, Tarman. I mean, there has to be some sort of time where institutional control, those words come in. Well, if you're, Jonathan, if you're Southern Cal and these other teams, what are your thoughts right now with all this going on and, and your teams have been penalized pretty hard? From Southern Cal, I am screaming at the NCAA that they need to do something, especially after the sanctions that they were handed, uh, that were, let's say, very unfair. And if, you know, if USC is going to get punished the way they did, Alabama needs to get hit harder. It Alabama, yeah, only... you know, you read off the list. I didn't realize they had that many sanctions. Uh, that is, well, that many illegal benefits provided. And that's just. It blows my mind they haven't gotten in trouble yet. It does, and, and here's something, too. And on the eve of SEC Media Days in 2010, Orlando Sentinel columnist Mike Bianchi called Alabama the NCAA's most consistent cheater and suggested the NCAA set up a branch office in Tuscaloosa. 
but note, Beyonce's column is no longer available on the Sentinel site, but it lives on its perpetuity and numerous other postings. Trey, if this is true, if these things, they're investigating them, comes to life, being a repeat violator, a repeat offender, what do you think is going to happen to the tide? That's what I want to know from you. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I think you're talking about if if everything comes out true, I mean, you may lose the national championship. I mean, that that's what's going to be on the table. But really, is that punishment? I mean, everybody knows they want it on the field. You have to send a message here, and and with Mark Emmert as the head of the NCAA guys, I'm just telling you, he's. He's not very clean. If you look at his track record, what he's done, every place he's been, he's been cheating, which makes me wonder why the NCAA would let this scumbag in. But other schools, he's quick to jump on. It's just weird how it just doesn't feel right to me what's going on in the NCAA, and I think there comes a point. Emmert's about to be gone, but is this a chance, Jonathan, for Mark Emmert to stand up and do what's right and maybe save his name? Could you imagine him hitting Alabama with severe sanctions? Maybe people might start taking him serious. I doubt it. I, I, <laughs> I honestly doubt it. I don't I don't think he'll ever sanction an Alabama um, or LSU. You know, those are those are his homes. Why would he, you know? But I, I want y'all to know. Mark Emmert can come back. I think, come back. Yeah, I think, I think every team out there – is is doing something illegal, and almost they have to to be able to mm-hmm. to recruit and be able to keep these guys doing what they're doing. And Trey, it's not just Alabama, it's not just Auburn or Florida State or Penn State. Everybody is doing something. I guess it's just what what's making people upset is all of this stuff's happening. Nothing's being done when you see other schools get hammered for stuff like Penn State, which I think that was justified. Miami's still waiting three years for their punishments. You see Ohio State with some tattoos and textbooks, Oregon's getting in trouble, LSU. There's all these other teams you can name on and on that's getting in trouble, but yet Alabama, when something breaks, nothing ever is done about it. And I think that's why a lot of people are very upset. Yeah, I mean, I I, I could understand that for sure. I mean, Alabama has got a lot of things that hit the radar, and people want to see what happens. Well, all right, guys. Um, Jonathan, anything you want to cover before we head out tonight? Uh, no, I mean, you know, you guys know what I'm looking forward to on Saturday, you know, 8 o'clock on ABC. Um, I I do want to mention that Randall Cobb and James Jones are both uh, getting MRIs tomorrow for the Packers. Cobb's injury is supposed to be more severe than Jones. The word season ending was brought up with Randall Cobb for James Jones. They were thinking more four to six. It's going to be interesting to see what the MRI results do tell us. Trace? Uh, no, no, no hitter tonight for the Red Sox. They get on the board. So five to one Tigers. Well, I just want to say, man, college football is back. And, and seeing these upsets, seeing the underdog perform the way they have this past weekend makes me realize and should make everyone realize that if you think Alabama and Oregon are the two best teams right now, then check in with us in four weeks and we'll see. It just shows me that we could end up having somebody like Louisville and Ohio State in the championship with the way the parity is in some of these conferences. You start talking about the Pac-12, how deep it is, how better it is, and you start talking about the SEC, anything could happen. Nobody's safe. Heck, LSU could sneak in with one loss and get in the championship right now. It's just one of those things that – 
college football is fun to watch because at any day anybody can win. And, and Trey, I have a funny feeling that you may have Clemson and Florida State as number one on your list Saturday. I'm going to go ahead and gamble on that and bet on it. <laughs> yeah, that's no secret. Yeah, I mean, any time two top five teams play each other, top six, whatever it is, uh, it's going to be in the top. So look for that one. There's some other games in there too, Tarvin. But there's uh, some good football next week as well. Well, Paul said he can't believe that I didn't comment on Lane Kiffin on college game day yesterday. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, him being on game day, but I do think it's a big deal, him coming on, just because I wouldn't want to be seen right now if I was Elaine Kitten out there. Uh, I wouldn't want to speak to the press for about another year, but this weekend's going to have some huge games lined up for us on college football and in the NFL, so Wednesday night at 9 Eastern we'll be live uh, to break these games down. Who knows? I may have a couple more upsets for you guys this weekend, and it may not be Auburn over A&M. I have to do a lot more studying on that. But but there's some good games going on right now. An early lean for me is I have Florida State over Clemson. That's early. That's before all of my analysis is that's before all of my analysis is done. But I do have a feeling there's gonna be a couple more upsets this weekend and it's gonna shake it up. So I'm excited to see what happens what's gonna happen this weekend. It's it's not over yet. So we'll do our top five Heisman list on Wednesday night as well as give you our top ten pre or Actually, we'll do our AP poll. We won't even mention the coaches, Trey. We'll do our top ten college football teams, and we'll do our top ten power rankings on the NFL as well Wednesday night. But, guys, thanks for joining us. We've had a great time Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you then. Have a great week, guys. You too.